Oh, what's that sound, Ray? We must be back again with another episode of that Mostly Ghostly for all you folks out there. Well, how's everybody doing out there? We, me and Ray hope you're doing fantastic. Ray, how you doing? Good, good. How about you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, we got a real uh, slithering episode for the folks this evening, you know what I mean? It's one of those, uh, one of the, we've talked about doing this for a while because uh, I tell you when, you, when we think of these, at least me personally, when I think of these entities, these different beings and stuff out there, the, the, the ones I always see weird pictures of and they creep me out are these like snake people things, you know what I mean? These half kind of like, it's kind of different than a reptilian you know what I mean? Reptilians kind of more conspiracy, you know what I mean? And the snake people are more spiritual. It's kind of a weird thing. But um, just the fact, you know, we, we have this fear with snakes, you know what I mean? Um, and we're going to get into a little bit of where all that stems from and um, who and what uh, appreciates the snake and what they think of them and stuff, you know what I mean? But, you know, me and Rave talked on this show before how kind of the snake gets a bad rap. You know what I mean? For what it is, it's just kind of a sign of uh, intelligence, so to speak, and uh, wisdom. And uh, people don't like it. You know what I mean? It's one of those weirdo things. But you know, Ray, is there anything you want to you want to say anything before we roll up into this episode? Uh, no. All right, cool. So me and Ray thought it would be a good idea to kind of give everybody a brief, uh, you know, mythology lesson on the snake. You know what I mean? Um, the first time I ever heard of, well, you know, as a kid, I remember the first time I ever seen a snake. Um, I was a little kid crawling around in the, in like the little garden area in the backyard and I was through some brush. Remember the days when you could go, you could crawl through the, through the bushes and that'd be like an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. The good old days. You do that nowadays, they'll get, you'll get arrested. You know what I mean? But I remember, you know, working my way through, uh, through, through this bush and lo and behold, I, I come face to face with the, I believe it was a garden snake. It was black. Uh, it was like 12 inches long. Um, that's what she said. And it was very intimidating. That's what she said. And a very scary and you backtrack quickly because just the, the alien like nature of a snake where Everything that we know as a kid, everything you know to be living kind, so to speak, you know what I mean? That you interact with this human form. Maybe you got a nice furry pet dog or cat that's nice or a nice hamster. Uh, the closest thing you get, maybe a goldfish or something swimming around in a fish tank. But the snake in itself, it's just so it has that vibe to it because it has that slimy look. It's real. It's not slimy. It's just slick. Um it has no arms and legs. It's just really kind of alien-like, you know what I mean? Do you remember the first time you ever seen a snake in actual real life? Uh, yeah, as a young kid, I used to play in the woods and by the streams. I used to uh, see them there, snakes, frogs, a lot of different things. Very uh, otherworldly, unworldly type stuff. I had a friend when I was in Texas. Uh, he was very much into s- snakes. He used to breed them, uh, studied them, and uh, he had a pet boa, which I liked. And I used to let it, it was still still small, I used to let it wrap around my arm and my body sometimes. And despite the fact we think of snakes as slimy, the skin was smooth, more like silk. 
It was yeah. nice to the touch. Yeah. I remember the first time I ever went to New York for, uh, for entertainment value. When the film, the film world took me to New York for the first time, uh, we went to a gentleman's house who was the guy who composed the Stronghold video game, the John Woo Stronghold video game, and he, uh, some other things. And I remember he was a big snake guy. And in his living room, he had this big, I think I told you about this. He had that, the first snake he ever had. It was like a big, a big one. And when it died, I guess he took the bones and he, he like three, he re like, we formed them out. So like in his living room, his coffee table was his glass coffee table. And you look inside, it's this gigantic snake, you know, going in a circle. And that is kind of like the, the face was looking up at you, so to speak. There's no face there anymore. But, uh, you know, it was it was laid out like that. And it was more it was a, it was a tribute thing. It wasn't like, a you know, a, a deer head on the wall type thing. You know what I mean? It was his, his the first snake he ever had. He loved it. He wanted to keep it around. Um, he also I remember this guy had. Uh, like a like a aquarium, not like a water aquarium. I forget the name, terrarium. Um, he had a wall in his house. It was like the zoo in his living room, and there was a big snake in uh, in there, and, and, and within the wall it was really cool. And then he had uh, these small ones that he took out, and um, I remember one was real white. Don't get excited. One was real white, and when he put it in his hand, and you move it. It would turn purple just the way the, the light hit it. It would turn different colors. And I always thought that was really cool. Not cool enough to ever get one. I don't think I would ever own a snake. But that was very cool. You know, you have them for, you have them for a little bit. You put them back. Some people would say that's the best way to have kids. But you think that snakes get a bad rap because, mainly because of the Bible and the way they look? Or do you think it's a different thing? Um, I think the Bible didn't help. Yeah. And I also think that uh, they're slithering around in the ground the way they look. People were just uh, afraid of them, didn't understand them. Mm. So we'll pop into a little mythology real quick. Um, the, the behavior of snakes and their, their facial features uh, seem to be to imply that they were intelligent and that they lived by reason and not by instinct. Yet their thought process were as alien to humans as the way they moved. You know what I mean? In most cultures, snakes were symbols of healing and transformation, but in other cultures, snakes were fertility symbols. For example, in Hopi, uh, uh, the North America, in North America, the Hopi people performed an annual snake dance to celebrate the union of snake youth, uh, which is a sky spirit, and snake girl, which is an underworld spirit. Now, are all underworld spirits bad, Ray, or is that just kind of something else we've been taught that's wrong? Or is that that's just what, that's what we've been taught. Many cultures are not bad at all. Okay. Um, and, uh, and to renew fertility of nature. During the dance, live snakes were handled. And at, uh, at the end of the dance, the snakes were released into the fields to guarantee good crops. A snake dance is a prayer to the spirits of the clouds, the thunder and the lightning, that the rain may fall down and the crops will grow. In other cultures, snakes symbolize the umbilical cord, joining all humans to Mother Earth. Uh, the great goddess often had snakes as her, uh, familiars, sometimes tw uh, twining around her sacred staff as an ancient Crete. And they were worshipped as guardians of her mysteries of birth and regeneration. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely... Uh, 
they definitely they've had their different. It's weird, you know. They've had they, they've had their ups and downs, so to speak. And different cultures look at them as different things. Um, it's creepiness. They're 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 an interesting species for sure. But you definitely could tell, you know, they go around, they kill up a lot of the the, the mice, like the field mice and stuff like that. They would eat on crops and stuff. So, like, they play their part, you know what I mean? And um, it's one of those things. Now, immortality. Immortality. Some cultures regarded snakes as immortal because they appeared to uh, reincarnate from themselves when they uh, get rid of their skin, when they shed their skin. Snakes were often also associated with immortality because uh, they were observing biting their tails to reform a circle when they are coiled and they form spirals. Now, they also, snakes, one of those things you can chop off, and chop off its tail or like half of it, it won't die, right? Or is that some, just a worm? Uh, I'm not sure whether it regrows it or not. Yeah. I know that in, some, in many Aboriginal tribes, uh, snake medicine is actually a healing medicine. Right. Uh, the snake is uh, immune to its own poison. Yeah. And shamans will actually use the snake medicine to take the illness or the bad spirit out of somebody into them mm. where they change it and then release it. They get rid of its negative. And that's all based on the snake medicine of being uh, immune to the poison. It's a healing medicine. I feel like snake. I mean, don't you can't cut it in half, of course. But I feel like a snake's one of those things that if it if something nips the end of its tail or whatever, it'll grow back. I, um, I think it can grow back, but I'm not sure how much. Yeah, uh, both circles and spirals were seen as a symbol of eternity. The circle was particularly important to the Daoman myth, where the snake god Don circled the world like a belt corsetting it and preventing it from flying apart in splinters. That sounds important. The Egyptian myth, uh, the state of existence before creation was symbolized as a amulet uh, and many coiled serpent from which Ra, the sun and all of creation arose returning each night and being reborn every morning. Also the snake biting its tail Aroboros symbolized the sea of the eternal ring, which enclosed the world. In Egypt, the snake has hailing abilities, hems, and offerings made to it, since it is believed that the goddess could manifest through the snake. In a hum to the goddess, Mertiger, a workwoman on the necrop- necropolis of Thebes, relates how the goddess came to him in the form of a snake to heal his illness. Yeah. In uh, Sir Cosmonogony and religion, uh, the serpent is the symbol of the Pangul. Now, the Pangul, if you're not familiar with the ancient saints and ancestral spirit of the Serer people of the Senegal. Um, now, the saints and the ancestral spirits of the serpent people of West Africa, when the person dies, the server, Serer believe that their soul must make its way to Janilu, uh, I'm murdering that, I know already, uh, J-A-A-N-I-I-W, uh, a place where God's soul, good souls go, so it's their heaven, so to speak. Before the soul can reach their heaven, in order to reincarnate, uh, it must transfer into a black snake, maybe the one I've seen in the bushes. During this transformation, the snake hides in a tree. For this reason, 
It is taboo in Sarer culture to kill snakes. A great degree of respect is afforded to the snake uh, culture, as they are very, the very embodiment and symbol of their saints and ancestors' spirits. Like the Sarer counterparts, the Dagon people of Malai also have great reverence for the serpent. The serpent plays an active role in Dagon religion and cosmogony. The mythology of the Dagon's primordial ancestor, Labi, is based almost entirely on serpent mythology. In their traditional African religious beliefs, they say that the serpent, Lebi, guided the Dagon, uh, people from Mandi to the Bangarian esque apartment, their, which was their current home, when they decided to migrate to flee Islamization and persecution. The Dagon believed the Leb was very uh, was very reincarnation of the Dagon's first ancestor, who was resurrected in the form of a snake. In the Sumerian culture, snakes were also very important as the healing symbol. In the Humurabi law code, the god Ninazu is identified as the patron of healing, and his son Ningasadida is depicted with the serpent and staff symbol. Now, the serpent and staff symbols are our medical symbol as well, you know what I mean? You look around, you'll see a lot of serpents and snakes and stuff like that and all types of stuff um, within things like that. Because it is a great, it's a sign of knowledge and power, you know? Now, the creation myths we have, you know, snakes are a common feature of many creation myths. For example, many people in California and Australia had myths about the rainbow snake which was either Mother Earth herself giving birth uh, to an animal or a water god whose writhings created rivers, creeks, and oceans. In ancient Indian myth, the drought serpent Ahi, or Verita, swallowed the primordial ocean and did not release all created beings until Indra split the serpent's stomach with a thunderbolt. In another myth, the protector Vishnu slept on the coils of the world serpent Shesha, um, or Ananta, the Endless, which sounds scary for a snake. To be called the Endless and be a snake is horrifying. Uh, Shesha, in turn, was supported on Kerma, and when Kerma moved, Shesha stirred and yawned, and the gaping of its jaws caused earthquakes. What's your take on all these gigantic, like, the, when we get into this type of the snake, where it's all these mythical creatures that the yawn creates earthquakes and stuff, very Godzilla-like, you know what I mean? Like, these type of creatures. What's your take on the reality of these type of creatures? At, not now, of course, but at one time. Well, I think that when you're looking at the snake which crawled on the earth, yeah, and, uh, was low to the earth, somewhat mysterious for a lot of people, and... Uh, when the earth shook, then, yeah, it was the snake itself shaking, the snake god in the earth connected to. I think there was, there was a connection there between the snake, which is earthbound, and the, uh, the earth itself. And I think that the, it is one way to explain earthquakes. Yeah. And the earth shaking, that it was the god of the earth. And since uh, many... Snakes will burrow into the ground or build nests low, and they move on the earth. They associated the uh, snakes with the snake god or with the earth. They put it together in that way. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you have a lot. They're, they're in caves often. You know what I mean? If, you, if there was to be a, 
if there was to be an earthquake that would shake the land, maybe it might scare a snake in a cave enough to come out of that cave for a little bit. And maybe it happened to be a, a really old snake, you know, that goes into the cave to be protected from things that won't kill it. And now you got this 20 foot snake, which every now and then, you know, it's not, it's not uncommon in like the Amazons and stuff like that to see a snake of 20, 30 feet. Now, if you never seen, if you've only seen a 12 inch snake, a 30 foot snake crawls out of a cave after you die uh, and then come back to life, you go, okay, there's something definitely up with this. This is a special snake. This here is a special snake. You know what I mean? And then that would create the the lore a little bit. Well, also you take a look at if you take something like a large anaconda that's 15, 20 feet and it sheds its skin. Now, anybody familiar with that snake a little bit, they'd know as a snake grows, as it gets bigger, it keeps shedding its skin. So you go around and you find this 20-foot skin, and the first thing you think about is that that thing is getting even bigger. Yeah. So now you're thinking about how big is it, or you find part of part of one, and it looks huge. Uh, and you have the dark cave, and you have snakes that live in it, and you start saying, oh, wow, this thing must be like 100 feet by now. Look at this old skin. Mm-hmm. So you start associating with the, uh, with the caves, with the earthquake, quake with the earth, uh, snakes and giant that includes giant snakes and if it was to you know uh, as far as you know people go missing that would help create lore um, you know you're in more ancient times you really depended on your cattle and stuff like that for food if one of these big snakes took some of your cattle that maybe you don't get to eat that week which would be considered a curse you know what I mean I know in parts of uh, parts of Asia where they do get some very large constrictors. Yeah. Um, if they can't find it, and it it will it will occasionally attack um, livestock. Yeah. Uh, if they can't find it, one thing that they do is they will build a cage where the opening on the cage is wide enough. It might be like six inches wide, and they'll put a small goat inside. Mm. And they'll leave it on the edge of town where maybe some uh, livestock disappeared. And they'll just wait uh, because they don't feed that often. But it's not that uncommon to come by and find that the goat inside has been eaten by the snake. But now it can't get out of the cage because it's too big. Ah. So at that point there, they assume that this is a snake that was, that was killing the livestock so that they kill the snake. Yeah. So they use its feeding habit against it on the large ones. Smart. That's a smart move. I wonder if they, uh, I wonder if they lucked out with that the first time and they said, Oh, he'll just stay in the cage. And like, the only, you know, I didn't even think about the food, the fact that it would, it would be, have the food in it, you know, very weird. Um, and then you got taken to sacrifices and stuff like that. The days of sacrifice where they'd see this big snake, this big serpent in the, and then maybe they would deliver things to it. And if it was living that life of it, just getting food whenever it wanted and not really having to move around, it would probably get fat and you know what I mean? Lazy and stay in the cave and, uh, and eventually it would die. I don't really know what the life of expectancy of a snake is, but I almost feel like it's one of, they've been around so long. It's one of those things that, Something probably has to kill them for them to die. Otherwise, they're living for hundreds of years or whatever. Well, they also take a long, a very long while. Once a uh, snake has had a substantial meal, it takes a long while uh, for them to get hungry or to go looking for food again. Yeah. 
so that if they do take something, then they disappear for a long time. So they be, that makes it even more mysterious. Uh, and, uh, in Chinese mythology, the woman-headed snake, the Nua, made her first... Um, made the first humans she made uh, she made humans one at a time with clay supposedly interesting um delighted she made another figure and another and another and each came to life in the same way day in and day out nua amused herself making mud figures and watching them come to life so the the chinese mythology that's almost like a god that created humanity a woman with a head of a snake you know what i mean Interesting. Uh, the cons- the, to conserve her energy, she dipped a rope in clay and flicked it so blobs of clay landed everywhere. Each blob of clay became an individual human. Now she's getting lazy with it. That's never a good sign. The first humans of hers became high class, but the second ones became low class. Um, that's what the Chinese government wants you to think. Greek cosmological myths tell of how Ophian the snake incubated the primordial egg from which all created things were born. Um, the classical symbol of the Arobarus depicts a snake in the act of eating its own teal, which is a sign of humanity, I heard as well. This symbol has many interpretations, one of which is the snake representing cynical nature of life and death, um, life feeding on itself in the act of creation. I agree with that a little bit. You know what I mean? It's one of them things. What's your take on that, Ray? Um, I can I can see I can see why uh, they might think that. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like the the snake feeding on itself, the eternal circle of life, birth and rebirth, death and rebirth. I kind of it as a symbol of that. The snake works very very well. Yeah. Uh, including the shedding of the skin, but even beyond that, uh, that symbol of the snake devouring itself, also symbolically that, yeah, we do devour ourselves in a sense, that uh, we attack and beat ourselves up and we destroy ourselves more than any enemy could. Yeah. So there's a lot of symbolism that can go into that snake feeding on itself. You think the thing with the snake skin has any ties to a skinwalker vibe where people see the skinwalker and they automatically, oh, shit, you know, maybe uh, it adds to that. Because I, now it could, it could almost like a, a shapeshifter, you know what I mean? It's, it, it dropped its skin to take on a new look, so to speak. I think so. I don't know who, but if I remember correctly, there are some indigenous people, some tribes that believe that there are snake people that can shift back and forth in shape and form. Yeah. So uh, it it would lend itself to that very very well. Yeah. Now we got the underworld as well here. Snakes were regularly regarded as guardians of the underworld um, and the messengers between the upper and lower worlds because they lived in the cracks and holes in the ground. The gorgons of Greek myth, you know, the gorgons were snake women, a common hybrid whose gaze would turn flesh into stone. Most famous Medusa. Um, Nagas, uh, the demon cobra, and Naginis were human-headed snakes whose king and queens who lived in jewel-encrusted, un- the jewel-encrusted underground or underwater paradises and who were perpetually at war with Garuda, the sunbird. In Egyptian myth, every morning the serpent Aepap, symbolizing chaos, attacked the sunship 
symbolizing order. APAP would try to engulf the ship, and the sky was drenched, drenched in red at dawn and dusk, with its blood as the sun defeated it. Um, the Nordic myth, evil was symbolized by the serpent, actually a dragon, Nidhogg, <laughs> Nidhog, uh, a.k.a. the Dreadbiter, uh, who, co- who co- coiled around one of three roots of a Yagstril, which was the tree of life, and tried to choke or gnaw at the life, the life right from it. Um, it's weird, you know. Here is an evil, evil dragon named Nighog that gnaws constantly on the root, striving to destroy Yagzil. There's a lot of wild names. I don't know where they came up with these names. I think these names are like, they're like uh, statements that they just take like the first letter of like the word and the, and the complete sentence that they're saying. Uh, in, in an ancient Slavic paganism, a deity by the name of Veliz presided over the underworld. He is almost always portrayed as a serpent or a dragon, depending on the particular myth. The underworld was part of the mythical world tree. The roots of this tree, usually growing in water, were guarded by Veliz or Volos, uh, the serpent god. You know, I've, I've, people have told me uh, that you know in the Bible that God, when they when they talk about the the vision of God, that he almost comes off like a dragon. Have you ever heard that? Uh no, I haven't no. heard that one. Somebody's told me that once. Um, the idea of snake people living below the earth was prominent in American myth. The Aztec underworld, Miklin. Uh, was protected by python trees. That sounds horrifying. A gigantic alligator and a snake, all of which spirits had to evade by physical ducking and weaving and cunning before they could start the journey towards immortality. In North America, the Brule Suix people told uh, of three brothers transformed into rattlesnakes, which permanently helped guide their human relatives. The Pomo people told of a woman who married a rattlesnake prince and gave birth to four snake children who freely moved between two worlds of their parents. The Hopi people told of a young man who ventured into the underworld and married a snake princess. So this idea kind of has that reptilian thing, that reptilian vibe of these princesses and all that, like this hierarchy that is underground type deal. You know what I mean? Which is a whole different episode, but there are the reptilians that people get down with. And that's, I think that's what they're going with right there. Do you, do you agree? Uh, yeah, they don't see it the same way as current conspiracy theories see that uh, reptilians. They see them as uh, sacred beings or people very close to sacred beings that uh, mix it up with people. And that is for their benefit, not for their downfall. That's the difference. These are, this is more of a positive thing, supposedly, and reptilians are more of a negative thing. Um, but water plays a big part. Snakes are also commonly associated with water, especially the myths about uh, primordial oceans being formed of a huge coiled snake, as in the Aha Vitria. In early Indian myth, uh, the Jarmungand, in Nor- Nordic myth, Sea monsters lived in every ocean from the seven-headed crocodile serpent Leviathan of Hebrew myth to the sea god Kaluisi of the Zuni people of North America. The Greek monster Cilia with the uh, 12 snake necks. In some cultures, eels, which spend their early lives in freshwater before returning to the sea as adults, 
were regarded as magical creatures. So I guess they're able to flip back and forth. That thing about you said earlier about the reptilian, what they can go by different dimensions, jump back and forth between dimensions. I thought that was a really cool addition they added to it. Rivers and lakes often had a snake gods or snake guardians, including the Unteki, uh, the fearsome water spirit of the Missouri River. Until recently, some northern European communities held well-dressing ceremonies, which well-dressing is practiced in some parts of rural England. Um, sources are decorated, they, they, they decorate and design around with flower petals around their water sources. Um, they do this to appease the snake spirits, which live in village wells and told legends of saints defeating malevolent lake snakes, e.g. St. George, uh, killing a maiden uh, devouring serpent, or St. Columbus lecturing uh, the Loch Ness monster, which then stopped eating humans and became shy of human visitors. He just needed a good pep talk to set him straight. You know, a good, a good little pep talk, some words of advice can go a long way, you know. Uh, carved stones depicting seven-headed cobra are commonly found near the sluices of the ancient irrigation tanks in Sri Lanka. These are believed to have been placed as guardians of the water. Um, you think that when they say you think that this whole guardians thing ever stemmed from the fact that if you if you tell people there's a gigantic snake in your waters, nobody's going to want to go near your waters. You think that plays a part with this? I think possibly. I think that the, there's visually there uh, there are other tie-ins. If the snakes come come from the ground, quite often water wells up from the ground. Yeah. Uh, you take a look at most rivers; they're not straight; they wind back and forth the way a snake usually moves. Rattlesnake, in particular, uh, and many other snakes. Uh, snakes are close to the ground. Water is in the earth or traveling across the ground. I think that the comparisons there to be able to put the snake, which can be fearsome to some people, or even poisonous, as protector of that other thing which gives life, the water, which also comes from and travels on the ground is a natural, to me, kind of a natural pairing right there. Yeah. It, ma- it makes sense. Yeah. I would, uh, I remember I seen a video once of like a, there's like a, a grown deer that was, had to have been like two, three hundred pounds or whatever, and it was drinking out of a river and the snake came up and, uh, you know, it, it lunged out of the water and it grabbed him and it spun its body to the point where it lifted it up off the ground and like slammed it on the ground to stun it. And then it like reeled it in while wrapping it at the same time. Now, if you were to show somebody that video and say a snake bigger than that is in this water, you would never get anybody near that water. That's all I'm saying. And that's oh, yeah. Yeah. All you'd have to say is, yeah, that, that, that's one of the babies that got loose. Exactly. And you don't want to see mama or papa. We say that's just what we feed it. That's just the thing we feed it. Um, and that's wisdom for everybody out there. A little more wisdom on the snake. You know, snakes were associated with wisdom in many mythologies, perhaps due to the appearance of the, their pondering their actions as they prepare to strike. They do always look like they're thinking and they do all, they're very calculated with their attacks and quick. Uh, which was copied by the medicine men uh, in the build-up to prophecy in parts of West Africa. Usually the wisdom of snakes was regarded as ancient and beneficial towards humans, but sometimes it could be directed against humans. In East Asia, snake dragons watched over good harvests, rain, fertility, and the cycle of the seasons. 
uh, whilst in ancient Greece and India, snakes were considered to be lucky, and uh, snake amulets were used as talismans against evil. Mainly growth. I mean, all those things right there, good harvest, rain, fertility, the cycle of the seasons, that's all just signs of growth, you know what I mean? Yeah. Tiresias gained a dual male-female nature, a dual male-female nature, and an insight into the supernatural world when he killed two snakes which were coupling in the woods. Now, Tiresias um, was uh, a blind prophet of Apollo in Thebes, famous for his clairvoyance and being transformed into a woman for seven years. Are you familiar with him? No, I'm not. He's very ahead of his time, it sounds like. Um, The biblical story of the fall of man tells of how Adam and Eve were deceived into disobeying God by a snake, identified as Satan by both Paul and John uh, in 2 Corinthians and Revelations, respectively. Revelations being my favorite book of the Bible. In the story, the snake convinces Eve to eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which she then convinces Adam to do as well. As a result, God banishes Adam and Eve from the garden and curses the snake. In the state of Kerala, India, snake shrines occupy most households. Snakes were called upon by the creator of Kerala, uh, Parasarama, to make uh, the saline land fertile. Uh, The Manarasila Shri Nagaraja Temple is one of the main centers of worship. The presiding deity here is Nagaraja, a five-headed snake god born to the human parents as a blessing for their caretaking of snakes during a fire. It is believed that Nagaraja left his earthly life and took samadhi, but still resides in the chamber of the temple. Uh, Very interesting stuff, you know what I mean? Well, also, if you go into uh, India... what I actually have, I have one. Yeah. It was brought back from. It was brought back from a monk I used to know, uh, from a, a part of Asia, up in Lincolnwood Island. There was actually a monastery, and uh, he brought it back, and I got it. Oh, probably about twenty-five years ago as a gift. But um, it is a small statue, and it has Buddha sitting there. Behind Buddha, there is a giant cobra. And you know how the cobra flares flares out and gets wide. The hood, yeah. The hood. It, fl- it the hood is flared, but the snake is over over Buddha. In an aggressive way, like like to protect them, or more or, or an attacking thing. To protect them, the story that goes with it is that Buddha, the Buddha, was there in meditation, and a storm was coming. Yeah. And the giant cobra came up behind him came up over him, spread its hood to protect the Buddha from the storm. So it's actually a symbol of protection. Now the Buddhist is a, they're more of a not, not worry type culture, right? Religion? The Buddha? Uh, Be peaceful? uh, Okay, I'll say peaceful, loving and respectful of every living thing, compassionate, very big on self-awareness and enlightenment. But the symbol of the snake in that one there is actually protecting the Buddha. And that small statue that I do have, it's made out of metal, which actually 
was not made for tourists. He brought back and gifted it to me. Um, is actually a protection statue. I like it. And mo- most people won't see a snake as protection, but and under those circumstances, it's viewed as protection. Yeah, and that would be the cobra. Oh, for sure. Anything if it like anything that can defend itself, if it likes you, will protect you. That's my take on it. So I could definitely see a snake standing for protection. It's all. It all depends on who it appreciates or who it, you know, if it's master, if you will, or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, it's one of those. But it's things. also the it's also the wisdom of the snake seeing that the Buddha was not a threat. Yeah, the Buddha was an enlightened holy man, so the snake chose to protect the Buddha from the storm. I think the Buddha would be the one feeling the threat in that moment. I mean, if there was a cobra rolling up on me big enough to be an um, to, to, to put its hood out and be an umbrella to keep me dry, I think I'd be a little worried of that thing approaching. It ain't uh, but, Girl Scout but cookie, the, you know what I mean? The Buddha, the Buddha respects all life. Well, you can respect it, but beware. Always be conscious of what's going on around you. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. Um, I think God even has that thing where he's like, he, in the Bible, it says, that, you know, uh, don't trust man. You know what I mean? Don't put your faith in man. You know what I mean? It's like beasts don't, you know, don't, don't be, I think it says something about like, um, don't, you know, give everybody like an open, except with an open heart, but an open, but like be cautious of them doing bad things type deal. Like one of those deals of like, yeah, you should be cool with everybody, but never lose track that there's going to be bad people out there that are just straight bad. Well, that'll mess up your stuff. I, I believe that was in the Bible somewhere. Maybe it's in the Bible of mostly ghostly. You never know. <laughs> well, the, the only, the only phrase that I can come up with that uh, is not exactly the same, but has a similar sort of meaning. Yeah is that when uh, Yeshua, when Jesus told the apostles to go out and preach, he also told them, if you go into a town and the people do not receive you, leave and shake the, shake the dust from your sandals. So it's kind of like, and that, that in itself is, is a life lesson, that if, if you're living a good life and you come into a very negative and uh, nasty people, et cetera, and stuff, and uh, there is no, there's nothing but ill will there, yeah, it's okay to just kind of turn your back, brush the the uh, dust, the dirt from your shoes and sandals, and walk away. I'm with that. You don't ha- you don't have to be part of that. Well, you did your part, type deal. You know what I mean. You did all you could do in that situation, which is all anybody can do. You want to talk, talk about some hailing from these snakes, real quick, right? Um, and I think that the, the fact that they're they're always alert and it, when they go to strike and when that's usually when people would see them is when they're kind of striking or having some type of situation with another thing. And they always do have that look and the wisdom and wisdom. People love wisdom, but they're also afraid of wisdom, too. You know what I mean? They don't want they only want them to have the wisdom. So let's get into hailing. The ha- hailing and snakes are associated in ancient Greek myth with Asclepius, whose snakes uh, familiar familiars would crawl across the bodies of sick people asleep at night in his shrines and lick them back to health. Uh, I'm very horrified by reading that. I am very horrified by reading. I don't like that at all. But uh, Asclepius are a hero, a hero and a god of medicine in ancient Greek religion. He's a son of Apollo. 
this is a person. This is a person that would, whose snake, like a snake, he was like a snake. He would crawl across bodies of sick people and, and lick them back to health. I could make a joke, but I'm not gonna. That just feels, that's like, what do you think of that one, Ray? That's like horrifying, dude. That's like, that sounds like one of the first of like the bad people with trying to throw hailing on it. I wonder if any of these people were hailed. Well, there was, um, if you go back to uh, the New Testament, before the Romans came in, one of the first groups that went into Israel were the Greeks, and they built a temple with waters. Yeah. And it was known, uh, it was a, supposedly a healing spring. It a, shows up later on in the New Testament. But it started off as what they would do is they would release snakes into the water, which would cause the water to ripple. Yeah. Um, as the snakes uh, would swim around. And people would go in to get the healing of that spring, that water, and the snakes. They would bathe in that, uh, in that particular place. Yeah. In Northern Europe and uh, West Asia, snakes were associated with hailing, uh, whilst in parts of South Asia, snakes are regarded as possessing aphrodisiac qualities, you know what I mean, of sexual attraction. Greek myth, Greeks always are sexually attracted to everything, though. Greek myth held that people uh, could acquire second hearing and the second sight if their ears or eyes were licked by a snake. Now, everybody go watch the movie Caligula to go to catch my joke, my joke about what the Greeks like. But back to this licking thing, man. I don't know, dude. Licking the ears and the eyes, getting licked by a snake. I don't know. Your eye, you'd be too afraid it would pluck your eye out, don't you think? It would bite you. I'd be worried it'd bite me. That's a bigger problem. Well, the saliva from the snake holds the magic power or the healing of the snake, and that's why they keep on talking about licking. And the, and the venom in the tooth holds the magic power to ultimate sleep, doesn't it? So you well, be... that's, a, that's a balance in life, yin and yang. I guess you're right. Part, positive, negative, yeah. I guess you're right on that, Ray. I wanted to dip into a little list here of reptilian-human hybrids throughout mythology that are always caught my... We have Boreas, uh, of course, which is the Greek god of the cold north wind, described by uh, Pausanias as a winged man, sometimes with serpent uh, serpents instead of feet. Now, when it comes to these Roman gods and Greek gods and all this, do you think that they just mash up a bunch of different human and, like... Animals that they know to have like powers, you know what I mean? Like hawk, he's got the wings of a bird, defend the fangs of a lion. You know what I mean? The the attributes of several different animals they put together into a god. Most of the uh, Roman ones were based on Greek ones. They just kind of reinvented them and tweaked them to make them Roman. Um, let's see, uh, Zeus became Jupiter. I mean, there were several of them that just kind of transferred over and stayed mostly intact a lot of them they were just uh modified given a new name and a new temple hmm. yeah we also got Cecrops one the mythical first king of athens he was half man and half snake supposedly i, I wonder what they mean by that it could be as little as a dude going around and flicking his tongue at people you know what i mean to actual like having 
scales off her skin. You know what I mean? I don't know. Exactly. I feel like it's literally a dude just like flicking his tongue at somebody. You know what I mean? Or like, ooh, you know, doing playing the game with people. And them just it, like taking on a folklore to it. Well, I was, I was going to say a lot of the folklore comes about after the person lived. Um, in order to, uh, they would take something, a deity, let's say if they worship the snake, and they would give some of those attributes to the great leader to try and uh, make uh, make them even greater. One one thing that happened a lot in ancient writings is that you find somebody who is supposed to be great, whether it is holy or military or whatever, you find in a lot of ancient writings, oh yeah, they lived to 700 years old. Right. In a time when people were lucky to make it to 30. <laughs> right. So they would kind of bump it up when they were telling the story and they could give the person some extra attributes and some extra magic and power and that could be long life or that could be uh, a quality associated with one of the gods. Yeah. No, I mean, and this is going back to a time where the king would have you killed for not believing in something and you go as far as right now, I think there's a, a Korean dictator or so who has got all those people believing that he doesn't poop. Or like the one before him that he doesn't go to the bathroom or something like that. He's too holy to go to the bathroom. Some weird thing like that. Well, you know, the flip side of that is the danger with that is people just turn around and say he's full of it. Yeah, it's true. What are you going to, yeah, I'd be, yeah, it's true. Um, We also have dragon kings, creatures from Chinese mythology, sometimes depicted as reptilian humanoids. You know what I mean? Some jinn, or jinns, uh, Islamic mythology are described as alternating between human and serpentine forms. We've talked about them in the past. Um, Echidna, the wife of Typhon in Greek mythology, was half woman, half snake. Um, maybe it was just because of the way she could move, you know, when she danced. You know, it could be something like that. We have Fu Xi, which is uh, F-U-X-I. Serpentine, uh, founding figure from Chinese mythology. Glicon, a snake god who had the head of a man. That kind of looks, he's, he doesn't, he has very small shoulders uh, if he has the head of a man on a snake body. The Gorgons, you know what I mean? Sisters in Greek mythology who had serpents for hair. Now, are the Gorgons like the sisters of Medusa? or is it, I know they're around the same time. Were they connected, or were they two different things? I think they were. I' not sure. I think they were the sisters of uh, Medusa. Was a Gorgon. I don't know um, if she was the same family lineage, so to speak. But she was, yeah, one of them. Creature in Greek mythology. They occur in the earliest examples of Greek literature. Descriptions vary. The term most commonly refers to. Si- Sisters of having made a live, living venomous, uh, venomous snakes in horrifying situations. So they're almost like three sisters that were just trouble. They were probably royalty. They were probably some type of royalty that were like evil. They were probably like some type of like heinous royalty. You know what I mean? Uh, the Lamia, a child devouring female demon from Greek mythology, depicted as half woman, half serpent. That's scary. Eating children, half woman, half serpent. That's all 100% horrifying. Have you heard anything about Lamia? 
No, but I can see where if you're in a culture that, uh, let's say you don't have any cure for snake bites, and if uh, snakes got into a nursery or something like that and bit a child and they died, you might have a legend that it, that grows around that. Um, you might even blame the uh, whoever was in charge of taking care of the child and make them into a demon, the nanny, so to speak. Um, I can see where they could put several things together and stop blaming it on these demonic snake things that, that ate the child. Uh, child-eating monster and in later tradition was regarded as a type of night-haunting spirit. In the earliest stories, she was a beautiful queen of Libya who had an affair with Zeus upon learning that Zeus's wife Hera first Lamia to eat her own children. The offspring of her affair with Zeus and afflicted her with the permanent insomnia. Zeus, taking pity on her, endowed Lemia with the gift of prophecy and the ability to temporarily remove her eyes to relieve her sleepiness. Madness. <laughs> Craziness. <laughs> it is what it is, folks. Uh, the Naja. Naja is a big one. Uh, reptilian beings like King Cobras uh, from the Hindu mythology said to live underground and interact with human beings on the surface. So this is the more positive reptilian type vibe. That's what we're going with. We got the Nuwa. You know what I mean? Well, if you want to get the Naga, Naga is an interesting one. You know what I mean? Um, some, you know, it's a, it's a divine, semi-divine deities or a semi-divine race of half-human, half-serpent beings that reside in the netherworld and can occasionally take human form. Rituals devoted to these supernatural beings have been taking place throughout South Asia for at least 2,000 years. They are princip principally <coughs> depicted in three forms. A holy human with snakes on the heads and necks, common serpents, or as half-human, half-snake beings. Uh, in the Hinduism and Buddha, Buddhism and Jainism, the female Naga is uh, Nagi, a Nagin, or a Nagini. Uh, Najaraja is seen as the king of Najas and Najinis. They are common and hold culture significance. Um, yeah. So you definitely don't want to mess around too much with them, folks. You know. Um, we have Nuwa, serpentine founding figure from the Chinese mythologies. We have Shenlong, a Chinese dragon thunder god depicted with human head in a dragon's body. Again, that would look very weird, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Uh, more so than just what I think, like, size-wise. Of course, obviously, like, physically it would look weird. But, like, size-wise, I don't think a human head fitting on a dragon body, I think, would be weird. Unless it was an oversized, gigantic melon. You know what I mean? Like a wee, 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 I don't even want to know what that would look like. Um, serpent, an, an entity from the Genesis creation narrative, occasionally depicted with legs, sometimes identified with Satan, though at representation have been both male and female. The Sobek, an ancient Egyptian crocodile-headed god. Um, just a giant mouth with sharp teeth, which I'm sure has been drawn up everywhere. The first monster ever was something with big mouth and sharp teeth. Um, Taylok, Aztec god depicted as a man with snake fangs. Yeah, I wouldn't want to deal with that. It doesn't really have a snake body, it just has snake fangs. And I'm looking at a picture right now, and it's, it's from an old time where who's to say, you know, Mexican religion, uh, they consider him the supreme god of the rain. 
I think it's because the reptilians would like the rain. They get too dry. Um, Sapon no Yare, a turtle-headed human ghost from Japanese. Turtle-headed, I don't like, turtle-head makes a, is it on, which end is a turtle-head coming out? That's the question, right? Oh, Ooh. oh, jeez. You have the Typhon as well, the father of all monsters. I thought that was Godzilla. What's this? In, in Greek mythology, had hundreds of snakeheads. That's a lot, you know, in Hesiod. Um, or else was a man. Or either that he either had a hundred snake heads, which is horrifying, or he was a man from the waist up and the mass of seething vipers from the waist down. That's a crazy visual, too, because he would travel on those snakes. You know what I mean? It would almost have that octopusy vibe to it, which I don't want to get into. But I almost feel like the Typhon is probably maybe an octopus washed up on shore somewhere. And they were like, "That's a ty- we got a typhoon and it left a typhon on the beaches. And there it is. You know what I mean? Um, the Wajet, pre-dynastic uh, snake goddess of Lower Egypt, sometimes depicted as half snake, half woman. And the Zahak, a figure from Zoroastrian mythology, who in Federosi's epic Shanana grows a serpent on either shoulders. Hmm. So that's kind of like a play on the good thing, good, the good, uh, the good and the bad angels there, the good and the bad entities on the shoulders. I feel like whatever culture she belongs to, I think that, or or it belongs to, I think that's probably their version of the angel and the demon on the shoulders. You know what I mean? That makes sense. The balance, like Ray said, not too long ago, the little bit of the balance in there. Um, you know, we got these. We got these deal, these entities in, in history to go into more of a historic. They're not quite historic, but folklore to go more into like uh, some more folklore stuff um, to go out of, you know, the, myth, the, the, the mythology, the old uh, mythology of it all. But we got a couple powerful snakes from our history, you know what I mean? And mythology in there as well. You know, like, of course, the snake of the garden, the garden of Eden. You know what I mean? You know, now they claim they claim the snake to be the actual devil that went in there and tempted him, right? That's how that goes? Yes, in the form of a snake. And then Eve it tricked Eve, and Eve then Eve had Adam. It was a very controversial, very controversial story, because you would have to say that Eve tricked Adam, or e- Eve was tricked, and then she led Adam down the, down the path into, into corruption. Yeah, that's that's the I way mean, the story goes. I mean, we didn't write it, but that's how it goes. You know what I mean? That's one of those things. Um, but yeah, that that's just the old. That's probably one of the most famous snakes. You know, in, in this list is more of a, the the snakes that you think of when you think of snakes in in, in the world and in, in, in just folklore and all that. Of course, you have the snakes that St. Patrick drove out of Ireland. How we got our fa- fantastic St. Patrick's Day. You know what I mean? The patron saint banishing every last snake from the the Emerald Isle. You know what I mean? So we got those snakes. Very big. You have the Jamangand, which is the Viking sea serpent. In Norse mythology, uh, we didn't get a, get into this before. That's why I wanted to tap into this now. Because when I think of serpents and stuff, this is one of my favorite mythologies. Uh, but few stories are as dramatic as that of the Jamangand. 
the powerful sea serpent, the Jumongid, one of th- one of three children of the shape shifting god Loki, and the giantess Andabroda, was thrown into the sea by Odin, father of the powerful thunder god Thor. The serpent grew until his body encircled all of uh, Midgard or Earth. So Earth used to be called Midgard. Are you familiar with that? Yes. I'm going to start calling. Don't let me uh, forget to to start calling the world Midgard again. I want to bring that back. We want to bring that back in Mostly Ghostly. Midgard. Uh, What does Midgard mean? Do you have any idea of that, the significance of that word? Uh, No. Interesting. I I had just heard how it was used. If it it was Midgard instead of a guard, I would say it's the middle ground between God and people. Um. And he was able to grasp his own tail in his mouth. Ron Jeremy used to be able to do that, too. At the start of Ragnarok, the final battle scene that would end in the Earth's destruction, uh, Jamangnand left uh, the sea and rolled across the land, wreaking havoc. In their climatic confrontation, Thor slew the serpent with his mighty hammer, Mojanir, but only made it nine paces before falling dead himself, poisoned by the serpent's deadly venom so this venom this snake killed thor heavy that's pretty heavy i think that that if you take the legend of that snake and it was a gigantic sneeze uh sea snake or serpent yeah. it matches up it matches up well with the leviathan from uh the christian writings Oh, yeah, we're going to get into some of the Leviathan. He's in here, too. Another one of my favorites. The, the sea creatures really get to me because we don't know what's deep down in that ocean. That's the scary part about the ocean. Um, Thor, so that's a little teaser for anybody who likes the, the Marvel films. Uh, now we know who kills Thor. You know what I mean? So don't be upset with us. Um, next up is Ray. What Ray just brought up, Leviathan, you know what I mean, from the book of Job. Um, there's a debate over whether the passages in Job about Leviathan and another giant biblical creature, Behemoth, describe myth- mythological beasts or actual animals that existed at the time, but later may have gone extinct. It has been suggested that a Behemoth could have been a hippopotamus, or a.k.a. a hippopotamus, uh, an elephant, or even a dinosaur. While Leviathan may have been an ancient species of crocodile, either way, the book of Job employed both Leviathan and Bohemoth to demonstrate for uh, jo- jo- to, job, uh, to Job God's power of creation and the futility of questioning him later. The word Leviathan would be applied more generally to mean a giant whale, most memorably of the great white whale in Moby Dick. Uh, or other massive sea creatures. Now, what do you know about the, this story in Job? I know you're more in tune with that than me, probably. And the behemoth, is that that big elephant with the tusk? Is that what we're thinking about the same thing, right? Uh, well, it's, sometimes they've been used interchangeably Yeah. Uh, in current culture. But um, I don't know a lot about that particular story. Mm-hmm. I I see the Leviathan more as a uh, from the different things I read as a giant sea creature, yeah. more like a, more like a sea serpent or snake. Mm-hmm. Consider it more like a wingless dragon in the sea, uh, <laughs> but big enough to. And the stories that I've read, it's it is big enough to wrap itself around and take down a ship. When I think of Leviathan, I think of it's a, it's an actual creature, but then it has. 
and has other things growing off of it. So it would have this, you know, it's down in the ocean. It probably has all these life organisms that just live off of it. It's so big and stuff. That's what I kind of envision. And I don't, you know, I don't exactly know what it is. You know what I mean? What it could be. But again, the bottom, we don't know what's at the bottom of the ocean. That's why it's so crazy. You know what I mean? Um, the Greek mythology, the Gorgons, we'll go top into them a little bit. They're, they're interesting, too. There were snake-headed women who gazes would turn people into stone. They had serpents of hair, long claws, sharp teeth, and scales covering their bodies. I thought they were, like, attractive, except for their hair. I guess that doesn't sound too attractive. That sounds, to- like, that's, that sounds like a legend or a mythology that came about by uh, men who hate women. I think you're probably right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the, the snakes sound the snakes on the head sound like a bad hair day. Uh, the, the claws and like, you know, they're calling them. They, they make them out to be a real bitch. Like, stay away from women. OK, just yeah. stay away. And it's, it's they made it into a myth to try and scare men to like, you know, stay away. You know, this isn't good. So you, you had a bunch of uh, men who hated some woman and came up with that. Yeah, I think that it's like they're, they're like royalty sisters that just weren't giving dudes any play. So they, they created a bad story about them. According to some myths, Medusa, the most famous of the Gorgons, was originally a beautiful woman. Her tryst with the god Poseidon in one of Athena's temples infuriated the virgin goddess who turned Medusa into a Gorgon as punishment. That sucks. That's where her hatred would come from and bitterness and all that. Uh, Athena later helped the hero Perseus slay Medusa. So she gave her the double banger, man. She made her look like garbage. And then she helped the dude fucking cut her head off. If I remember correctly, get her head cut off. Um, giving him the shiny bronze sword uh, shield that he used to watch, to watch the Gorgon's reflection rather than looking directly at her. After cutting off Medusa's fearsome head from which are two children with Poseidon, Chrysler uh, and Pegasus emerged. Perseus mounted it on his shield and used it to paralyze his enemies in battle. Now, I, in a situation like that, I wouldn't put it past somebody to just cut off somebody's head, put it on their shield, and put that story around it so they would act like, look like they were fucking hardcore and not to mess with them. You know what I mean? But. I don't know. I mean, it has that. It has that. The wittiness of the shininess of the shield. I mean, that does kind of work a little bit, um, you know. And then, it, but then it goes against every. It goes. It's like one of those genie things where, like, okay, if you did the loophole, there's a little loophole because, okay, you got to look directly in their eyes. It can't be a reflection, so to speak. You know what I mean? You got a little vamp- vampiric situation to it. Oh yeah, it's interesting. We also have uh, the Quetzalcoatl, which is uh, a big one, something I'm not pronouncing correctly. But among the most prominent deities in Mesoamerican cultures is the Quetzalcoatl, or the feathered serpent. It was a mix of a bird and a rattlesnake. You know, they, all, they often say that dinosaurs were really came from, they're like the same in the bird line. Have you heard that? Yeah, the- the bird, the birds kind of evolved down from the dinosaurs. I heard that one. They said that the, the dinosaurs actually had feathers. Some people think instead of just reptilian skin. Some early ones, yeah. yeah. Um, Kodal is the Noatia Noedi word for serpent. 
the Aztec god of wind and rain, as well as learning agriculture and science. Uh, it was said to have played a key role in the world's creation. In one version of the creation story, he and another god, Tetzelkapoka, transformed themselves into snake and ripped a giant sea monster named Sipakli in half. One part of her became the earth, the other the sky. Though the earliest depictions of this show him clearly as a snake with a plume of feathers, later cultures represented him as in human form. I don't. I find it very hard to wrap my head around stuff like that, where these two creatures ripped another creature in half, and it became the earth and the sky. What do you? What's your take on? Do you think that's a little too far fetched, or do you find a little bit there could be some truth in that, going way back to the beginning of everything? Um, I think it is more along the lines of people trying to explain how things came about. It's not um, even in a good way, though. Like that one, there's certain ways I've heard people do it that are like intelligent and you can catch it. But saying that is just so like, I don't know But people. Well, there was this big sea creature and me and this other guy turned into a snake, you see, and we attacked it and we ripped it in half. And then one became the earth and the other became the sky. And it's like, well, what was there before? What were you battling on? What was this big battle taking place on? If none of this was made yet, you know what I mean? I don't, I, well, whatever that godly realm was for them is where they were having that battle, and uh, they turned something that was evil into something that was good. So transmuting the evil into good, the earth and the sky, is a common theme in a lot of stories. Yeah, no, I hear you. They battled it out. It said they, they battled it out at Dave and Buster's. Um, in the Eastern religions of Hinduism, you know what I mean, Buddhism and Jainism, we talked about this a little, little while ago, uh, myth- mythological semi-divine race known as the Naga. You know what I mean? They're all up in there. The underground dwellers. You know, we talked about them a little bit. We won't get too deep into it. We talked a little bit about the the Hopi. Is it the Hopi or the Hopi snake dance? Uh, it's the Hopi. They have a story. I don't know if it's what you're going to get into, that there was a time when there was a lot of problems on the earth and the earth was not really uh, friendly towards humans. Uh, whether whether you want to call it climate or whatever else was going on, where the snake people came up and led them, uh, the tribes, uh, into the earth so that they would survive and then led them back and taught them how to survive. And when things were better, brought them back out of the earth so that they could uh, inhabit the earth again on the surface. Yeah. What's that? What's the... Were you going to say something else? Nope. What's that religion of people that they pray with the snakes? Like they, they take it as a sign of faith. Oh, I don't know. It's like an extreme form of some religion, but I, Baptist maybe? It's like an extreme form of something, but they actually pull pull snakes out or they hold them up, and they because of their faith in God, they don't get bit type deal. I've heard about them. I don't know which uh, group they are or the na- the name of that group. The Church of Buddy Buttafuoco. For thousands of years, members of the Hopi Native American tribes of North Arizona have performed the ritual known as the snake dance during the multi-day ritual. Have you ever have you ever went to the snake dance? No. During the multi-day ritual, uh, which is aimed at encouraging rainfall and fertility for the land, like we talked about before, growth is huge. If growth is life, you know what I mean. Without life, there is without growth, there is no life. 
Uh, male dancers from the snake clan put live snakes ranging from small garter snakes to rattlesnakes in their mouths and around their necks. The snakes are painstakingly gathered and washed before the ceremony, which also involves members of the antelope clan. Though outsiders, notably Theodore Roosevelt, have been able to witness some aspects of the snake dance, much of the lengthy ceremony takes place in underground chambers called kivas, allowing its most sacred aspects to remain mysterious. Now, when, when I talked about the thing about the handling snakes... This feels like this, maybe it's coming from the same place. It's not the same thing. The ones I'm talking about is these little southern churches and, like, VFW halls, you know what I mean, with bad lighting and shot on high eight cameras of them carrying cobras around and saying, you believe in God? And then they throw the snake in your lap, you know what I mean? Um, real extreme stuff, like craziness. It might even be gone because that's almost like dangerous practices. I can see the government, like, shutting that stuff down. Um, but yeah, you know, you're right here, notably Theodore Roosevelt. So you had some important people coming to this that ties into the whole fact that when the government was really trying to get into that spiritual thing, they believe it, they don't preach it and push it, but they definitely believe in it. And they, they try to use it for their own to try and get what they, what they want to do out of it. You know what I mean? You feel that way, right? Oh yeah. Are you familiar with the legend of white snake? No. Uh, it's an ancient Chinese myth that tells the story of a powerful female white snake demon who lives underwater but takes human form as Madam White or uh, Ba Suzanne. After Ba falls in love with and marries a mortal man, Zhu Zian, a Buddhist monk, Fahi reveals her true identity to her husband. Fahi later kidnaps Zhu and traps Ba under his lakeside pagoda. But not before she gives birth to her son, Zhu, who will eventually free his mother. There are various versions of the legend of the white snake, which has evolved over the centuries from horror story, which uh, Fanai heroically battles the evil snake demon to a romance, focusing on the thwarted but genius love between Zhu and Bai. So that's a very interesting stuff. Um you know, I, there should be rules about that's definitely catfishing. We, the new generation calls that catfishing where you're a snake woman. You're, you're a white devil snake woman or whatever they call this, the legend of the white snake. But she's a demon. Um, and you get the, you, you, the guy who falls in love with you and then you marry the guy. And then he finds out you're a demon, you're a snake demon. I hear that happens more often than not, though, from what I'm told. I heard that's one of the that's one of the goes at it. But um, very interesting, you know what I mean? What do you think? What do you think that little story came from? The story of you know the guy meets this girl, falls in love with her, um, finds out she's really a snake. She didn't really have any like. Um, it wasn't like she had some big master plan to take over his life or anything. She was just kind of a snake looking for love. You know what I mean? She found it. She told him a secret. Um, and he put her in, a, in, a, in his, 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 his bodaga there. I put her in the basement, locked her up, I think, in the basement, maybe for her protection and other people's protection. She had a baby, and the baby was supposed to come back and free her or something. I don't know. Um, very weird. Very weird type deal. You know what I mean? I mean, Ray, what's your take? We're going to close up the show real quick, but what's your take on snake people? Uh, the snake people? 
Yeah. Uh, that's a tough one. A part of me says that there's the possibility of that there were people that, um, whether you want to call them interdimensional, spiritual, uh, or just uh, a cryptid that may have existed at one time that did actually did help people, taught people. Um, I think that the possibility is, is there that at least at one time they did exist. Mm-hmm. Now, why they were associated with the snake, whether it was because they lived underground or the things that they did maybe with snakes, I don't know. But uh, are you talking a full hybrid, part human, part snake? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But I think that they may have been very different. And the way they lived, they were very heavily associated with snakes. Yeah. And uh, the legend of the snake people was born. And like most legends over time, it gets modified and then blown out of proportion in some ways. Yeah. Certain aspects of it. But were there were were people, let's say, more in touch with Earth and may have even lived in the Earth and uh, helped uh, people who walked the Earth that became part of a legend? Eventually, their memory became that legend. I'd say that's a definite possibility. If there was people that moved into the caves, you know, eventually uh, their skin might turn turn pale, or maybe you know they might have if they're not getting sun and they're living in cold, damp places. You know what I mean? That could have an effect on their skin, maybe their eyesight, the way they act and stuff. So I think it really only teens takes the slightest difference of even much like today, sadly the slightest difference in appearance from the other person for them to say you're something else not like them. You know what I mean? And we talked about this with the crypto stuff where like Bigfoot could really have just been a dude with, uh, or a dudette with like a weird skin disease that they grow fur instead of just growing a beard, they grow a beard all over their face. I mean, we've seen, you see, I've seen things on TV, you know what I mean? With, with there used to be these, um, I think they call them the Wolf Brothers in the 90s, and they were just these two brothers, and they traveled through kind of like a, a, I don't like using the word freak show circus, but they kind of traveled that circuit, whatever it's whatever it's called in a nice way, um, that circuit, the type deal. And that was their whole thing, is that they were completely had the toe covered with fur. So I th- it could be a situation like that, because, you know, there's medical things out there. Now you can look up that, you know, skin diseases people can get that, they get real flaky. It almost looks scaly and stuff. So who's to say that it's not somebody like that? And once, you know, if, if somebody in the family has it and you exclude that whole family, maybe it's contagious. And now that whole family has it or, you know, people that they, and now you get a little, little group of these people. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be some bitterness because whenever you're, you know, you know, they have an issue and they're, they're, they're being kind of demonized for it. So they're going to probably be pretty bitter towards, Humanity, which is why they would go hide, not want to deal with the reg- other people. So I, f- I vibe with that. I vibe with maybe something like that. Um, you know, the reptilian thing is a whole different story, I feel. They're kind of related, but different. This is more along the lines of like myth- myth- mythical things and like hybrids of, uh, I guess they, 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 you know, the reptilian would be a hybrid thing too, but I don't know where I'm with you, where like I, it's, I do think that there was, there was uh, I could fall on either side of the line. Um, it's quite an interesting thing, you know, and I, who's to say, 
Who's just, you know, there's so many things we don't know about. Who's to say? I tell you, I looked at, as crazy as it sounds, I've seen footage of a mermaid recently that looked realistic. And I never in my life would ever catch myself saying that I've seen mermaid footage that looked realistic. You know what I mean? But, like, if that could look realistic and the possibility of mermaids being for real, if I can wrap my head around a mermaid being for real, I could wrap my head around snake people being for real. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. So I kind of think that's kind of our... What do you think, Greg? Well, I think that at one time, it's a definite possibility. Like you said, um, if they were ostracized from society and they lived in caves, their eyes and their eyesight may have changed, the skin how they would have to live would uh, be different. And they would very easily be associated with snakes, which you can find in, in caves and uh, associated with the earth. What I find encouraging in some societies, particularly if you go out in Western America, is that if they did exist that way, they were very compassionate because when the surface dwellers had a problem, it could have been something like an ice age coming in. When the earth became... Uh, unlivable, then these very same snake people who were once outcast took in the surface dwellers and actually saved them and taught them how to live until they could go back to the surface because maybe they just knew uh, what it was like to be pushed to the edge of extinction and to be an outsider. And at least they didn't turn against the, the, the surface dwellers. Hmm. So there, are, there is some good in some of, of the stories, which lends me to believe that maybe there would, were some good outsiders, some good snake people out there for whatever reason that actually did help people at one time. But um, unfortunately, you have different stories, whether it is the, uh, the snake being Satan in the Bible or other stories in other cultures that kind of twisted around the whole history and became dominant. And you've, you've also got to take authors and Hollywood. Their take on a lot of it kind of fostered a lot of the current beliefs. Yeah. They, put it out, they put it out there and people don't question. Yeah. And in, in those times, if you were being good to one person, that person's enemy wouldn't be looking at you as doing good. They would look at you as doing bad. So... I think you've got those people that would want to kill them off. You have just the people that don't understand them would want to kill them off. So it could be, it would, it'd be a I When I think of what it is in like the, the kind of the creepy factor around it, I think those people would be perfect targets, unfortunately for people they wouldn't want around anymore. You know what I mean? Like if there was actual snake people, they're not going to want, nobody wants to deal with snake people. I hate to even say it, but it's one of those things, you know, snake, snake lives matter. I want to say in a way, snake people lives matter, but it's one of those things where like, unfortunately, I think that they're so, if you had somebody walk around with reptilian skin, snake eyes and a tongue, and you're telling me you wouldn't want them put into a fucking, put into a hole and not, not have to deal with them anymore. You're lying. You are lying because you ain't going to live in harmony with these things. You, it, it'll be, t- it's too much. Um, you know what I mean? They know that. We know that. It's kind of like the take they do with aliens. Like, why aren't aliens here yet? It's because they see us as such a violent species. Why would they want to mess with us? Because we'd probably just go to war with them. And we'll, if we're not going to war with them, we're corrupting their their good people into being 
us people. <laughs> you know what I mean? There'll be, <laughs> there'll be aliens walking around on cell phones, not paying attention, worshiping Kim Kardashian, um, not talking to their parents because of political choices, you know, all types of fun stuff that, that our, our humans do. So they, they're better off to stay away. And maybe the reptilians... I mean, the reptilians are the, the negative ones, but maybe these snake folks. And it's quite possible that the, if there is reptilians, reptilians would probably kill off the rest of the snake people if these snake people were positive reptilians. That's a war right there that would probably be being battled behind the scenes that we wouldn't even know about. And um, the reptilians would have the power of our evil government. So they have the upper hand, unfortunately. So it's easier to kind of wipe out the snake folk. Very unfortunate. Well, it is what's part of it is that I mean, we live in a society. It's been around for a long while, but anybody different or anything that doesn't fit what we've been conditioned to believe, whether it is uh, history, legends, uh, what society is, we automatically condemn. That can be someone who who looks different, someone who comes from somewhere different. We unfortunately don't listen to their story, don't accept them, and I believe a lot throughout history has been lost. A uh, lot of knowledge, a lot. Uh, well, just look when uh, the Romans invaded uh, Egypt and they destroyed the Library of Alexandria. All of the knowledge that was lost there. I mean, it's been a repeated thing over and over again. So that could there have been beneficial people, possibly snake people that interacted with uh, humans in the past? I believe it's a distinct possibility. Yeah. Did it did it fit the timeline as Homo sapien being the master of the planet and the alpha of the planet, it does not. So therefore they had to be pushed in the legend and that legend had to twist around the stories so that no, that can't exist. And no, they're just legends. And yes, they were bad. Um, I'm leaving the door open at no, maybe there's more than just legend and it wasn't all bad. I'm with you. I think there's a lot of, a lot going against this species of people. You know, like I said, with the reptilian deal, you got humanity might not want them around. If they're living in caves, and we 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 heard about earthquakes throughout our our, our, our readings today, that um, you know, if you're living under, if you're in a cave, if you're in a hollowed out cave, and there's earthquakes, all it all it takes is for that cave to come down on you, and your whole little civilization's kind of finished. You know what I mean? Like realistically. Well, the other, the flip side of that is your cave does not come down, but someone living outside of that cave on the surface and their house comes down, they're going to turn around and blame you. Right. They, right. they, they need a scapegoat. It's true. You know, so they might, they might just seal up that cave or hunt you down. Sailing up the cave is an issue. <laughs> you sail up the cave, people can't get out or they die in there. You know, you know, you have that the death. You have whatever. You maybe they could they put off a weird put off something when they die. Their body, you know what I mean, comes out their pores or something. Now it's get toxic. There's toxins in the air. You crack it open. Now there's new snake people. It's a new movie. It's a new movie from Boombastic Films. <laughs> do it. But yeah, uh, I think we, I mean it was very interesting stuff. We had a lot of good points. I think going back and forth, and a lot of knowledgeable stuff within this. But by the end of it, I think we're still kind of torn um, with officially what, what what's go. You know, we got ideas of what's going on and such. But there's still more to learn on this one. I'll say that this one there's still more to learn, and like you say with everything, let our shows be the kicking off for your research you know if you guys listen to this and this interests you and you go wow i'd love to know more 
That's awesome. Go learn more. Learn more than us. Come back and we'll do a part two to the episode with you on it. Woo! So, you know, the truth is out there. Go seek it. And with that being said, me and Ray will catch y'all on the next episode of Mostly Ghostly.